Welcome back to yet another edition of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers uh, and television and movie makers. Today, very excited today, we have a guest coming back again. Alex, actor Alex Ruiz is joining us again. He was last here a few years ago for his TV series, Kien es Kien. Uh, now he is back today because he has moved to the stage. And he has a play coming out uh, this week in Los Angeles. So Alex is going to be joining us again along with his co-writer, co-producer, and co-star, Vince Giovanni. So they'll be here at the midpoint of the show. Very excited to have Alex back and to meet Vince um, and talk to them about this play, which takes place on a Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, can't wait to talk to them. But we're almost at the end of the year, another year, and we'll be kicking off our next year on January 6th. We've got a couple more weeks of BTL. Um, in 2019, before we take a few weeks respite and uh, then come back on January 6th. So very excited about that. But, you know, you, we're here every Monday live on AdrenalineRadio.com or because owner Nick likes his toys and social media. You can also watch the show on the Facebook live stream of the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page. It's nothing exciting until we get to this time of the year. I love my tablescapes. And anybody that's looking at the Facebook uh, live stream right now, you will see a plethora of more award screeners. I have more award screeners than Carter has pills. And you got to be pretty old if you know that joke. Um, incredible films in contention as we count it down. Uh, to Academy Award nominations, Golden Globe Awards, and then all of the guilds. Uh, my guild, uh, formerly Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society, now Hollywood Critics Association. We've done our voting. We'll find out within, uh, within the month uh, who the winners are, who will be getting our prestigious award. Uh, I think the Gotham Awards are happening this week. But all the different critics associations uh, and the guilds are all in award, awards fever. And there are truly, as you heard me talk about throughout the year, some great contenders this year. And just some of the examples are up here uh, on the tablescape. You know, Downton Abbey, Julian Fellows, possibly a, a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination may come his way. Judy, Renee Zellweger. Okay, folks. I hate to, there is nobody more deserving. I've said this since the film came out. I stand by it. Hand Renee Zellweger the Oscar and every other Best Actress Award out there. Uh, as I mentioned the other week, she even picked up uh, an independent, a Film Independent Spirit Award nomination for Best Actress. And we'll see what happens with that on February 8th, the day before the Oscars. Um, a lot of great documentary, Apollo 11. Uh, some very, very strong, uh, dramatic pieces this year. Just Mercy, Loose. Uh, I won't be surprised to see Octavia Spencer pick up a Best Supporting Actress nomination for Loose. Honey Boy. Honey Boy. Got to give Shia LaBeouf credit. 
Um, really amazing. Uh, best original screenplay possibility. Honey Boy picked up quite a few Independent Spirit Award uh, nominations. We'll see what happen happens with uh, the big boys, with the Oscars, the Golden Globes. But a film that is out right now that I can't encourage you highly enough to see and actually make it a double feature day. First, go to digital, Amazon Prime for one, Official Secrets by Gavin Hood. You heard my exclusive interview with Gavin here on Behind the Lens. Watch the film. It, you know, it dates back a number of years, but it all revolves around secrecy and governments and the wars in the Middle East. Now we have out right now The Report. Adam Driver, Annette Benning. I got to tell you, Annette Benning is Diane Feinstein has, has you doing a double take. And I really look for her to pick up some kind of nomination uh, for the Oscars. Best Original Screenplay Possibility, Scott Z. Burns. Um, really riveting, riveting film. And it's something every American should see. Um, as I've often said, you know, we're going to know where we come from and what transpired to understand where we are now and where we're going in the future. Uh, also, Dark Waters. See it, see it, see it, uh, and understand how this affects every single one of us on the planet. Um, but lots of cool stuff. A lot of new uh, award screeners out this week. Every week I'm getting another mountain of them, so I keep changing them up here on the tablescape for all of you. But talking about awards, someone I would love to see pick up an Oscar nomination for best score, original score, is Nathan Johnson for Knives Out. Um, number two at the box office this weekend, the holiday weekend. Number one, new release. Uh, Frozen was the holdover, and uh, it's still number one at the box office. I think it could be Frozen in the one number one spot for some time to come. Um, but Knives Out, it is rapier, rapier wit. Rapier editing, rapier scoring. It is, the dialogue is delicious. There are no holes. This is a whodunit that you can sink your teeth into. It is phenomenal. Written, directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, All-star cast. Christopher Plummer, Chris Evans, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Just uh, Mike, uh, Michael Shannon. Um, Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Craig, just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal cast. And the film itself is, it's a stunner. It's fabulous. I've seen it. I saw it, uh, at an early screening, uh, over a month ago. And I have since paid money to go back and see it again. Uh, I love it so much. So I was very excited to get to talk to, to composer Nathan Johnson the other day. Um, you know his work from Kill the Messenger, um, Don John, Looper, and one of my favorites, uh, young ones, Jake Paltrow's uh, directorial debut. Uh, but Nathan, who is the cousin of Ryan Johnson, composed the score for Knives Out. I like to call this one gothic whimsy. Um, it is very stylized, a la the 1950s. Um, you've got a lot of motifs and individual themes. Each character has their own theme. Um, 
the music, there's a lot of strings, there's a lot of fun. But what I really love with this score, this score in particular, it does a dance with the dialogue. Um, it weaves in and out. And the dialogue and the score have a symbiotic cadence. And it's really outstanding. And for all of you classic film fans out there, so much of what Nathan brings here um, to this score, it's reminiscent of Franz Waxman, Sorry, Wrong Number, Max Steiner, pick a film from the 30s and 40s, Bernard Herrmann, Vertigo, Psycho Notes, Ken Alford, um, very interesting. He scored for Hitchcock's Lady Vanishes, but he also scored for The Bridge on the River Kwai. And there is some whimsy in Nathan's score for Knives Out that reminded me of that. And, of course, shades of what Frank Skinner brought to Midnight Lace. So I'm thrilled. I got to speak with Ryan for an extended, uh, with Nathan for an extended time, and we talked all about scoring Knives Out. So take a listen to our exclusive interview with Nathan Johnson, composer of the score for Knives Out. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Well, I'm very excited to be talking to you. I am so in love with the score of Knives uh, Out. Oh, blushing. <laughs> I got to tell you, I mean, it's like Hollywood movie musical, the musicals themselves, that was my master's thesis in college 40 years ago. Really? Yes. Oh, that's, oh, wow. So I am, I love movie music and the score so much. Give me anything by Steiner, Herman, Waxman. Yeah. And I am in little piggy heaven. And as I'm listening to, (laughs) as I'm listening to Knives Out, Nathan, you have all of their influences in there. As I'm listening to the string quartet for not for the theme Knives Out segment, I'm hearing Bernard Herrmann's Psycho and Vertigo strains in there. And I was oh. I was loving every second of of this score. Oh, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, that's so kind. <laughs> uh, thank you, you. You've got I always get a sense of like gothic whimsy, pulling in <laughs> pulling in some Frank Skinner uh, from Midnight Lace even. And oh wow! Uh, how do you sit and approach a score like this, Nathan? Because here it's not just an it's not just a general score that you've done or one or two themes. Each character has an identifiable theme that you then manage to cross over and integrate in key moments in the film. So it is truly a sonic experience to listen to this. Well, thank you. I, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, should just, um, I should just bring you around with me everywhere. <laughs> You're doing a dance with the dialogue the way you've orchestrated this and it it just it it blows my mind it's just it's stunning on every level oh thank you so much well 
it's uh, that's uh, that's so um, that's so encouraging that you kind of you know or uh, notice that that dance with the dialogue. I mean, that that was one of the things that. I mean, first of all, I was just so in love with the script, um, and I, I, I mean, I, I love everything that my cousin does, but th- clearly this one, it's you know, it's this amazing ensemble cast, and and the script is is just you know, it's just razor sharp. Um, and when Ryan and I were talking about you know what the music was going to be like. He was he was really clear with me that he, he didn't want it to be background like you know blurry background music. He wanted it he wanted it to be sharp. He wanted to hear everything, and um, and so kind of every all the decisions that I made came out of that you know that north star of we we really want to go for it. We want it to be bold, but also you know I, I kind of like. It's it's very scored. It, you know, I'm like changing tempos all over mm-hmm. the place because I I wanted to be I wanted to be really careful about you know dancing with the with what's happening on screen, but definitely not hopefully not getting in the way because because we we need to hear every word. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I that I really loved, and I have to tell you that as I was listening and watching. You know, I kept thinking a very, very dear friend of mine who mentored me a lot in scoring when I came to L.A. was Joe Gershenson, who was the head of the music department for Universal for decades. And Joe actually took me into the recording stages with a full orchestra and actually let me watch him conduct some classic scores so that, and one of them was Frank Skinner's Midnight Lace. Um, so that, and the way you have constructed this musically, I could just see, it's the kind of thing that I that Joe would have just dug into, arms flying, conducting an orchestra with this. Um, just, you know, is so stunning. Um, and it is the music is as biting as the dark comedy. Um, it, it bites. Just, it's as rapier as the dialogue. It's as rapier as the comedy and the editing. Um, and you don't see that. You don't find that. And it makes this very unique. Um, I'm curious what led you to the orchestration because you use a lot of strings. And you like yep. to, and in a lot of these passes, I've noticed you did a lot of string, never more than maybe a quartet or something, primarily violin. I think I picked up a cello here or there, but I'm not sure. But you've got the strings, you go into full orchestra, and you come back out with piano quite often. And I, I'm yep. curious how you formulated that dynamic, musical dynamic. Yeah, well, it, um, you know, kind of going back to, to some of those early conversations I was having with Ryan, he, he wanted it, he wanted it to be a big orchestral score, but, but again, he wanted us to be able to, to really hear every voice. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, so I approached it very much, um, I don't know how how like inside baseball or how technical we want to get. But get I, as technical I really as you approached want. Approached it. Yeah, 
Um, I, I really approached it almost like just kind of writing melodically for each each instrument so that they're essentially so that um, I'm thinking in a way I'm thinking less in in like pads and groups and, and a lot more in terms of uh, motif voices which is something that I love about the you know the classic scores mm-hmm. um, and and I think I think with that that dynamic between the piano and the sharp strings so that kind of was in my mind a really great way for me to think about the family musically because there's there's sort of an elegance in in the you know the, the jazzy piano, but it, but I'm like bending a, a lot with that. Like mm-hmm. there there, it, it's like the main Thrombi family theme sort of uses this Hungarian gypsy scale, which to my ears I just love because it feels it feels kind of elegant, but also like there's something definitely wrong in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so that that to me feels like very much like um, almost uh, almost in a way I guess a way to connect with how the family emotionally feels about themselves, you know. And I thought about all of this kind of flowing from from Christopher Plummer's character, and he's like this, you know, obviously this patriarch, but he he's like he has these adult children that are kind of floundering in his wake and so I thought I, I, I was thinking about that that piano theme as, as something that feels at home in their gothic mansion but on the other hand these these sharp strings sort of feel like the the, the more extravagant version of that and they're you know that's that's like the dancing the cutting that's mm-hmm. that's like the evil the snarl that comes out of all of these characters because I think all of them have this um, they have this way that they present themselves until their true nature is revealed mm-hmm. and, and I find it re- and I love that you toned it down a lot for Michael Shannon's character of Walt um, yeah. he really yeah. he that really is much more subdued and the edges are not as sharp when it comes to yep. him but I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, you could cut paper with a knife with with one note with what you came up with to you know for Linda for the character of Linda, and similarly with Chris, yeah. with Chris Evans at Ransom. Yeah. Um, that's ex- that's one of my favorite character themes that you have. Awesome. Um. But you know, and and then you've got softer stuff happening for Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, because um, he's an yep. outsider to the family. Similar, similarly with Lakeith's character uh, as a lieutenant, not the brightest bulb in the box, kind of blasé, <laughs> and the music reflects this. I mean, you can when you listen, you can hear and envision each one of these people. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you again. It's you know, it um, writing for for uh, Benoit Blanc that was that was actually really a fun one because I think you know, like this is sort of this classic uh, 
detective character where where you're kind of never sure whether he's one step ahead of the family or two steps behind everybody, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I think that that I you know talking about his the, like the motifs, especially for his kind of detective work. Mm -hmm. um, I, it felt really fun to, to kind of have this like more lighthearted, playful element um, because I think that that's it's kind of how he approaches it, and and you 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 kind of don't realize till the very you know till the very end when he he steps in and does the classic scene where he lays everything out mm -hmm. um, that 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 his all of his all of his ramblings have actually been leading somewhere. Well, and it's like when he's in the car and he's going around in the car and, yeah. and you know, I, I kept getting a sense, I kept getting the sense of that's where a lot of whimsy came in, almost like what Ken Alford did with Bridge on the River Kwai. Mm. Having them oh, all, yeah. having them all whistling while you're, it's like, yep. okay, that's one of the most bizarre things in the world. But you get that same, and that to me, it, it has notes of whimsy to it, that you're doing that. It goes against type. And here yeah. you, you have that same sort of feeling, um, particularly in the car scene. It's just... <laughs> 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 yeah, well, and it, it was it was fun to uh, to kind of play around with, you know, to basically essentially to play with the the woodwinds for for Blanc's character, which is, you know, a lot less sharper than the cutting strings that, mm -hmm. that are that are, that are happening with the family a lot. So these sort of like the higher the higher woodwinds feels I don't know for some reason that just felt like there was a connection there with his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it works so well. How how challenging was it when you're writing a motif for somebody like Christopher Plummer? Yeah, it's, I mean, for, for I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think, um, well, I uh, stumbling around figuring out how to talk about it but well so the first thing was that I was on set while, you know while they were shooting mm -hmm. and that's something that I do with with Ryan um, for his movies I, I have the the luxury of being involved really early on and so I remember being in Boston in this amazing manor house watching plumber work and, and all of these other amazing actors and then I would like drive home through you know to the place where I was staying through fall in New England and just sit down at my my mobile rig and just start writing and it was um I think I think there was this kind of amazing element there where I mean I like talk about this sometimes like often you know a composer is brought in at the at the very end of the process and you have you know, a few weeks to to quickly turn something around, and um, and I really don't take this this experience for granted because I think I think the ability to be on set and to have all this time really allows um, this sort of playful exploration to happen mm -hmm. that that you maybe that you don't have the ability to do that if you you know if you have to basically like turn a score in immediately 
Mm-hmm. So, so for I, I, I don't know. I just think that was like a really key time for me because I, I wrote, you know, I did so many explorations early on before I felt like I, like I've, I've got the, I've got Harlan's theme, I've got the family theme, um, and and I think a big part of that had to do with just having the time to be out there and write while I was while I was observing everything kind of coming together mm-hmm. I'm curious that, yeah. for you as a composer when you have the luxury of actually getting to see the performers in costume does that also influence your composition yeah 100% I mean the getting to um, I think just getting to be there and to watch that that special magic that happens when when they're in front of the lens and and everything is coming together, um, you know, it's it's. I think it's less it's less about like I run home and I know what I'm going to write. It, it's more it's almost more like tea steeping. You know, and, mm-hmm. and it, 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 uh, I, it, that's maybe a weird metaphor, but I just feel like it's, it, it's kind of about being in that setting and, and your brain is focused on it. And after a while, you just sort of lock into this world that they're creating. Mm-hmm. What was, which one of the characters was the most challenging for you to develop a theme or, or motif for? Um, I think so. Interestingly enough, I think Marta, Anna de Armas's character, Marta, um, because we we, you know, she she basically has this this very um, very simple um, sort of just essentially this this kind of cluster of chords um, and. It's not like it's doing a lot, but but I think that was that was that was a trick to figure out. Okay, what is going on here? Because she essentially is is you know the outsider at the center of this family. Um, but it there had to be there had to be an innocence in there, but there also had to be like a stability. Mm-hmm. And and I think you know it just just essentially being able to like chill out with with her theme and and it's all i mean i i i don't know that i would even call it so much of of a theme in and of itself but it but it just sort of um it just sort of kind of helps create this 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 solid bed for her and and i think her performance is so amazing you just you know you immediately connect with her but there's there's a strength um that that is you know anchoring her character through the whole movie i mean i felt that her theme listening to it was more like an undercurrent underneath everything else that that undercurrent is there and all this chaos and and vitriol is happening (laughs) on top of that was it difficult is selecting the instrumentation for these various themes. Uh, I don't. I don't know necessarily that it that it felt difficult. I, I think. Um, I think a lot of them felt 
kind of natural. Um, I mean, I, you know, when, when Ryan and I did Brick together, that was, that was even more defined. Brick was almost like a Peter and the Wolf thing where each different character had, had their own voice. Mm -hmm. Um, and with, with this, I wasn't, I wasn't being that literal. Um, but I definitely had colors that that felt like they they were just sort of unlocking for each character for me. So I think I think with at least on this movie that process felt fairly natural mm -hmm. um, with the performances that they were giving. As I'm watching and listening to Knives Out, I couldn't help but think about what you developed the score you came up with for Jake Paltrow. Oh yeah. With young ones. I mean that was such an impressive debut by him as a filmmaker. Yeah, and I really I really love that movie. I'm I'm oh. glad uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you got a chance to see that. Your score there yeah, I, is I really, oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Oh no, your score for young ones, it's just it's hauntingly beauteous. Thank you. Yeah, that that was a really special project, and I wish um, I wish more people had gotten to see that. Um, but I, I, yeah, I was I was really I really loved working with Jake, and um, and I really enjoyed the sort of the sandbox that we that we got to play in for that one. Yeah, that was a pretty special sandbox you boys were playing in. <laughs> it really was when you compare the intimacy and the quiet of that film to right. Knives Out. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a testament to you, Nathan, as a composer. It shows your oh, wide you. range of emotional uh, capability and where, you're tra and where you transport us through music. Oh, I, w I was just going to give the credit to, to both of those directors and the actors. Um, I, I, and, you know, it's weird because obviously those movies are so different. But um, but really, when I, you know, when I choose, when I, I mean, when I choose projects, it's um, the thing at the top of my list is, what's happening with the story and then who are the people coming together to bring it to life and I, and I feel like you know even though these two movies are really different I, I was they share a commonality in in the performances that I you know that that feels like a gift to me to get to to get to create music to, to you know in some way go hand in hand with with these amazing performances. Well, speaking of a gift, how much of a gift is it that you got to record in Abbey Road? Oh man, it was it was the greatest gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Ryan and I grew up obviously as huge Beatles fans, and I remember I think when we were in like junior high school, we photoshopped ourselves into the cover of Abbey Road, like sitting on a car broken down in the background. I, I know that if, if like someone would have told us, you know, however many years later that we'd be recording an orchestra in Abbey Road, like it, would, it just would have blown our minds. Does that make a difference to you with your music as it's being played and recorded? 
Does it yeah, add in, something? In, in terms of a Sorry, in terms of a difference, what are you what are you meaning, or what what are you getting at with that? Does it take it to another level for you as the composer when it's yeah. when it's being performed and recorded somewhere as auspicious as Abbey Road? I think so. I mean, I remember the the first morning, the first read through of the first cue, when when the sound hit me, I I just you know it was it was a moment it was a special moment and I, I just turned around to the people in the control room with a big smile on my face um, and it, it was just I, I think you know I think hearing those amazing players in that amazing room with, with these amazing engineers it, you know it's that's like the, the in the moment practical element of it but then on top of that there's there's this sort of intangible thing that we're we're in this place where all of my favorite records were made. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's definitely a special feeling. But but then again, you you know that you kind of have to put that out of your head and just get to work in a way um, because you know because we've got a limited amount of time to to do what we need to do there, but. But every so often, it, the thought hits you, and it's like I can't believe I can't believe we're doing this here. <laughs> One last question, then, Nathan. What did you take away from the experience of composing for *Knives Out*? That's a great. That's a great question. Um, I, I, I think a really special thing about this was um, getting to do this type of score with my cousin at, at Abbey Road, you know, and we, I'm not sure how, how familiar you are with, with all of our history, but, but the, the first movie we did together basically had no budget, and I was, I was using wine glasses, uh, tuned wine glasses instead of a string section because we couldn't afford to hire string players. And I, we were, we were using, you know, we were with, we had mallets and we were banging on filing cabinets because we couldn't rent a timpani drum. So it, it was, you know, it was, it was very that we started off in a very sort of junkyard orchestra setting, and um, and it was really special to, and I did, and I did that brick score in England when I was living there, so with this one it was almost like kind of coming full circle um it was really it was just really special to get to um you know all these years later still still obviously be working together but um but getting to use real instruments <laughs> <laughs> well i'm so glad no, you did no wine glasses were harmed in this in the making of this score <laughs> And that was Nathan Johnson, composer of the score for Knives Out. And now, um, the boys are joining us. Uh-oh, I think they're there. Alex Ruiz and Vince Giovanni. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm fine. Alex, where are you? I am here in L.A. Aha. See, I could have made you just Here's come to LA. the studio again. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been nice. Would have been nice to see you. That would have been uh, that would have been pretty cool. But uh, you know, Vince and I actually we have to um, uh, perhaps get ready because we have a, a dress rehearsal today. Um, I know that this week. So, so that, we're, we're busy, busy guys. Yeah, that's what Kim had said. And I said, hey, yeah. if, if Alex wants to come in live, he can come in live or he can call in. Whatever he wants to do. Um, I'm so I, thrilled yeah. to have you back. And Vince, I'm so thrilled to have you joining us today. Well, well, thank you for, 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 for inviting me. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I just think this is so fabulous um, mm-hmm. to see this course that you both are running. I mean, Vince, you have an extensive theater background. Uh, I think yeah. you probably have more of the theater background. And, Alex, even though you did have some early theater work and training, mm-hmm. you're primarily television and and film. So I think this is, yeah. this, this is a good pairing. This is mm-hmm. a, a good pairing. Yeah, yeah. It, really, it really works. And uh, Vince's energy in the, in the theater it's, uh, makes it a lot easier, you know, to kind of get back and pitch. Well, I've got to say, since you were last here in 2016, Alex, not only did you have a mm-hmm. really nice, you know, full season run of Kien is Kien, but you've gone All on, right. you've done voicing of video games. And what is yeah, this? And what is this? We're going to get to see you on an episode of Grace and Frankie with yeah, Jane Fonda yeah, and yeah. Lily Tomlin. You know, yeah. come on. It was fantastic. You know, I went to, I went to this audition for it and it was just a small part you know no big deal but i was excited because it was with martin sheen so i'm geeking out you know once i get the call back and then i go and then you know i get another email saying from my manager saying they want you to read going for a third backwards for a different person um so i was like okay and the part was a lot uh because they liked something but i mean other you know i'm very grateful to do it Amazing, but it wasn't with Martin Sheen. It wasn't with Lily Tomlin. It wasn't with uh, Jane Fonda. Uh, uh, so it's like a double-edged sword kind of thing. I was so thankful, but I was like, no, I couldn't get to meet Martin Sheen. You know, and now here you are. You go from disappointment of not meeting and working with Martin Sheen to teaming up with Vince and hitting and hitting the floorboards. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with overtime, I don't know. Is this is is this a letdown, Vince? I mean, do you feel like? Uh, I, I I hope it's not a letdown for Alex. I'll tell you that. Uh, and I, I don't think it is because we we put two years of work into this, and every day of this two years has been nothing but a laugh and joy. So I hope it isn't a letdown at all. But well, I'm pretty sure. It I is. agree. No, not even not even. <laughs> this is uh, as Vince said. It's it's two years working, so it's kind of cool to you know start with nothing and then here. We- you know, we're opening uh, in, in just a couple days. You sure um, are. And, and we're very excited, very excited to kind of go full circle on this. And it's been a lot of work, yeah, but it's, all, it's been a lot of fun to do it with. I mean, Vince is not just a co-worker, you know, or uh, he's, he's a really good friend. He actually married us. I just got married a couple months ago. Yep. And, well, uh, congratulations. And, uh, and, and, Debbie, that was more nerve-wracking than the actual play itself. So i got to tell you that. <laughs> well, you know, why don't you guys tell us what this is about. Over time, it's set in Detroit uh, on a Super Bowl Sunday. you got four guys getting together to watch the game. And we all know the stereotypes and, okay, they're well-founded stereotypes of what happens when guys get together to watch the Super Bowl on Super Bowl exactly. Sunday. It, it, 
but you don't yeah, uh, you don't you deviate from this from the tropes you deviate from that the stereotypical perception uh pretty much yeah i mean we don't want it to be like this huge like social issue kind of thing it's just four guys that come in but uh it's not i mean it's not just locker room talk it's 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 this specific person that comes in to kind of ruin everybody's life but in the at first but then they kind of he changes them but for the best i, I don't really want to say too much because it's 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 a it's a comedy first and foremost, mm-hmm. um, but we do tackle a few social issues between you know all these four guys and especially this one uh, um, this one friend that comes in and ruins everything, um, and then they kind of find each other in the end. They they become better friends uh, than they were uh, in, in the beginning. Uh, now the rub here, the cool part, and Vince and I uh, didn't want to uh, really say anything about it, but. Um, Oh, we like you, Debbie. So we're gonna. We're well, gonna thank you. I like you too. <laughs> the, the rub is that there's four uh, four characters, but we're playing two characters each. Wow. Um, which makes it very difficult, but so much fun to do. And that's why it took us so long, uh, not only to write, you know, uh, what we think is a pretty good story, um, but also to kind of organically write these characters out of the scene. Um, so the other character that we change into comes in, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a lot of running. It's fast play. It's, it's a fun play. It's a very fun play. The audience is going to love it. We think, uh, just visually, you know, the story is, is a plus, but visually it's a very, very fun play to, now, to watch. It's very difficult to do, but, I'm but it's a lot of fun. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's hard enough when someone is playing two characters in a film or in a TV mm-hmm. show, but at least you get a break, camera stops rolling. That doesn't happen right. on stage. Yeah, that's um... you got to keep going. Exactly, you know, and not only that, but uh, I'm sorry, Vince. I was going to just tell you, Debbie, this quick story that, like, we're, you know, we're, we're in rehearsal right now, and as soon as we run off stage, there's so much happening that we have to have a flow chart back backstage to see who we're playing next. Oh we my get god! Back, like, who am I? Who am I? I mean, you you got yeah. Just in case, this sounds like the military precision of a share concert and her wardrobe changes. It, it pretty much <laughs> is. Yeah, we have to be one hundred percent precise at every second, and it's like we we've got flow charts in the back. It's like it's like Marlon Brando when you hear that scene about him talking it in the garden with with Michael. He's got a, he's got all his lines taped up. We got all our changes taped up. So. Okay, now how hard is it for you as actors, how difficult is it to switch on a dime from the mindset of one character into another? Uh, we were actually talking about talking. this um, yeah, the other uh-huh. day that uh, when we did our first like dress rehearsal, I guess, or our, our first, uh, yeah, it was like a dress rehearsal, right? And um, we, we did it under the lights with sound cues, with everything, so we went 100%. And it's very difficult because some, some of these scenes are, you know, you really feel the adrenaline. It's, it's, uh, there's some, a couple intense scenes in there. And then to come back, change, and just switch to this other ca- character, you still feel that adrenaline from the scene before. Uh, so it's very hard to just kind of try and drop it as much as you can so you can switch to this character, which I, I, um, we, know, we're, we hope it's gonna be, they're going to be very different from each other. Um, that I think that's the the most difficult part for me. I don't know about you, Vince, but that's it's a little intense. yeah, and that's and that's what I that's what I I took most out of this was that our director, thankfully uh, uh, Eliza Hayes Mayer, um, 
She's a friend of mm-hmm. mine and uh, great theater background. And we, we brought her in, and she's the one who kept us grounded going, guys, remember mm-hmm. that you are playing that same character and you're coming back from two scenes ago, not the last scene. So she was very good about keeping mm-hmm. us that way. So it, it was awesome. Yeah, but yeah. N- now you're going to have to do it in front of an audience, though. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to feel the adrenaline even more. But, you know, uh, it's, I mean, that was a little bit ago. I mean, it's pretty controlled. We're, we're, uh, we're in really good shape here. You know, I, did you, Vince, because I know you have directed theater before, did you ever yeah. think about stepping in and, and wearing the director's hat in addition to two characters, producer, creator, and writer? So let me, let me I, I, so when I directed my first play, I also acted in it. And um, what I realized was it's very difficult, especially in theater, because you don't see yourself. Um, no one else can direct you. So, you know, I just went on instinct. And when I actually videotaped one of the performances of the play that I directed and acted in, I realized I needed someone to direct me. Mm-hmm. So uh, as far as some directing yourself on stage, I would never do that again. So I'm so happy we brought someone in. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, we, had, we brought in uh, Eliza, who's just so funny. And we needed that comedic aspect to this because this can get a little can get a little uh, intense sometimes. So, but she kept it funny and kept it light where places could have been a little more, you know, uh, dramatic. So, uh, I was thankful that we found her and, and and she 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 really she really brought this all together. So, yeah. But no, I won't direct myself on theater. I could direct myself on film, but not on theater. No mm-hmm. way. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because when I I talked with Greg Kinnear at length earlier in the summer because he just made his directorial debut. Uh, of a feature film and he's in 98 percent of the film and he said he will never never do that again and Mm -hmm. direct the film and star in the film he said at most he'll pop in just with a small cameo or something he said it's too you know it's just it's just number one it's nerve-wracking but number two it's very convoluted to, uh, you no, know, to yeah. try and keep pace and figure out where you are and where, you know, where everything <laughs> is with what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember, I, no I remember in the beginning when, um, when, I was, when Vince and I were talking, I remember telling them that we should, one of us should direct, and I wanted to also do it to kind of do everything, you know, writer, producer, actor, and director. Uh, and then he is the one that said, suggested Eliza. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know Eliza at the time. And then when we got together... Uh, the three of us, we had some coffee. Eliza came in so prepared, so prepared, you know, and she had a bunch of questions for us rather than us for her. And she, like Vince said, she's very funny. She's got this very, very quirky comedic timing that is what we needed because it, it is a comedy. But while we were doing it, it, it was starting to lose that comedy feel. And she really brought it back. Uh, she's fantastic. I mean, we couldn't be happier. We talked about it the other day. Like, we're so thankful that, that she... Uh, that she came in. And also, I mean, she's directing essentially four guys, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of testosterone <laughs> in there, a lot of adrenaline. I was going to say, she, you know, she's got us, man. Got us. <laughs> but you know, it, it takes a woman to handle, to handle four guys. So fearless. 100%. This woman is fearless. You know, how, how challenging has it been for both of you to find, to, to hit those comedic beats? Because comedy, as you both know, is so much more difficult than drama for the most part, because you've got yeah. you've got to find that comedic timing. Um, but you know, I think comedy is a lot like Shakespeare. If you're off in the cadence of Shakespeare, 
it's it's more boring than anything on the planet. Paint, watching paint dry is better. Um, but so, uh, so I'm curious, you know, how challenging that is playing each of you playing two different characters to find the, that timing that is so necessary. Um, For me, I I think I I drew this girl, Debbie. uh, I I get to play the most reprehensible character in the play. Oh, good. It's been a little difficult to find a comedy (laughs) in, but um, Eliza has kept, has kept me grounded in a sense to, to really embrace who Chet is. And because she said that to me, because he is so not what I am at all, he's the polar opposite of who I am as a person and what I believe in, that I had to really embrace him as a character. And once I did, the comedy just came out. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I, I couldn't have found it without some, some outside influence in that, in that respect. So, But um, the other character is pretty much me, so... If you find me funny, then you'll find Robbie funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'm just excited you get the reprehensible character because they're so they're so delicious, you know, to bite into when you're performing. So delicious, but at the same time, man, when you when you step out of that skin, it, it feels a little awful. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, it's, it's, no, that, what, that, that's been the hard part is just stepping out of out of Chet. Into Chet's okay, stepping out is like, ooh, I need a shower. Yeah, and what about for you, Alex? How, how you know, how I, challenging is this finding that comedic tone and the beat? Well, I mean, I, I, um, I've done a lot of comedy throughout my life. Uh, it kind of finds me, and I enjoy it very much. Um, I've done a lot of it, and uh, it's more um, the way we wrote it, it's all, I, I think it's all in the script rather than us like or me because i'm usually more of the faces voices moving around and just like rather than just let the writing do a comedy more than anything uh and visually like i said this is really nice with the changing and everything that itself that timing that quickness of us changing from back and forth to one the other people are going to laugh because it's like how the hell are they doing this um we want that to happen we want that magic to make people think these are two characters and that's that's funny. That's funny. I mean, to me, that's funny. Um, let alone, I mean, yeah, we change and we're completely different. Our two characters are very different from each other. Uh, and we do have some, some comedy and everything that we move around and we do whatever. Um, but I think it's mostly the, mostly the content, the, the writing uh, that we're, I'm pretty proud of, you know? I mean, I think it's, I think it's funny. I mean, that's, I think that's the, the what's kind of, a little nerve-wracking is that we think this is funny and we're a little nervous and hoping that people will think it's funny too. Um, yeah, when we wrote this, the, the we, very we few people that have watched it. Yeah, what was your writing process like for that? You know, everybody has a different writing process. When you're co-writing something, uh, sometimes it's computer-facing computer. Other times you're at two different locations. You're emailing stuff back and forth. So I'm curious. And then other times you're in the same room and you're pacing and you're crumpling up paper and you're throwing it on the floors with good ideas, bad ideas, um, ripping those three-by-five cards off a bulletin board. So I'm curious what what your Debbie, process we, we was got like. Together, we got together all the time. We, we, we either come to my place, I'd go to his place. And we'd get together, Vince, you know, sit and, and type on pacing, and we're just kind of throwing off ideas off of each other. And um, like Vince was saying before, it's, it's, 
it's difficult because when you when you write someone as as Vince said as reprehensible as ugly as this Czech character, it, it's hard. You know, it's very hard. We're not like that in any way, so it's very difficult. But yeah, we got together time at each other's places or at coffee shops or whatever. But uh, I don't think Vince. I don't think we never did like an email or send this. Like we always got no, together. never. I mean. And and the funny part, Debbie, is I, I say this to Alex all the time. It's like I don't even remember, I don't even remember writing this. It's like <laughs> yeah. it, just, it, it just happened. And then, you know, yeah. even so during, of, during rehearsals, we wrote things that we were talking about, you know. Is that like, is this like when you drive somewhere and all of a sudden you're home and you don't remember how you got there? That is, that exactly. is, that, I mean, for me, I don't think it's as much for us, but for me, I always <laughs> ask him that question. Like, dude, how did we write this? Like, where did that come from? Like, I, That's you true. Know, and then I tell him, I'm like, like remember you did this, and I said that, and you said this. And, <laughs> and one of you was just smart enough to type as you were saying things. Yeah. But, um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give, That's you know, much. I'm going to give my final draft a little plug here. Thank you, final draft. I mean, seriously. <laughs> there are a few yeah, moments I, I, of frustration. There are a few moments of frustration, only in the parts where because we did have to go back a lot because sometimes these changes, like we said before, the the changing back to another person that uh, before you know in the first scene or whatever in the first act didn't work. Now that we were the, you know the second act, so we have to go back and then kind of change how he would leave the room. The other character can come in. I think that was the most challenging part is writing these characters yeah. out in a natural way and then bring them back in somehow. Mm-hmm. That was very challenging. You know, I'm curious. Um, that was a little frustrating. Now, I know that you grew up uh, outside Detroit, Alex. Uh, yeah. And, and this is set in Detroit. So is, yeah. is this an homage, a love letter to your hometown? Um, even though you're born in Mexico City. Uh, but yeah. You know, Detroit is not really the first city you'd think of um, when you think of Super Bowl number one. When was the last time we saw the Detroit Lions in the was Super that, Bowl? Um, yeah, was that a shot, Debbie? That was a shot, man. No, come on. I'm from Philly. I got enough problems with the Eagles right now. So <laughs> that's funny. Oh, look, uh, look. Yeah, it was. Um, honestly, uh, yes, it is a little love letter. It's uh, my hometown. There's a lot of little things that are written in there that you know people from Michigan will know. Uh, and then we thought it was funny to incorporate New York as well. Vince is a massive Jets fan. I'm a big, you know, I'm, I'm a cursed Lions fan. Uh, and uh, so we, it is set in Detroit, but we, we talk about both teams, which I think is also funny that the teams that are in the Super Bowl are the Jets playing the Lions uh-huh. in the play. And which will uh, never happen. Which would never happen. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is a little love letter, but uh, – we incorporated, even though we talk uh, obviously a lot more about Detroit, uh, we do talk about New York, I think just as much. It's just that it takes place in Detroit, but it was, it turned into both our cities kind of, you know, us proud, even though we hate our team, we're, we're proud of our cities. Um, <laughs> we're just frustrated, but yeah, you, know, you don't uh, hate the team. Taking it to, taking it to Detroit uh, and then New York as well. If, uh, if everything goes well, um, Oh, well, I think you have be, to. That'd be fun. You have mm-hmm. to. I mean, that yeah. that just stands yeah. to reason. And then, you know, maybe right. you could even turn it into something and switch up the teams 
and ch- oh, completely. change it out for other cities. Oh, completely. yeah. That's yeah. a good point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, you could turn it into, you know, a whole little mini franchise thing. Oh, yeah. God. You know, that, that is our fantasy. Our little, a, little to- a little touring company to different cities, and you just change the teams up. You know, That's not and, a bad and, idea, and actually. You bring I that know. up, and I've, I've, <laughs> I've said this to Alex. This this play is actually made for touring. It's so simple. It needs mm-hmm. one set. We do all the changing, one stage manager, and we're ready to go. So we, we didn't even think mm-hmm. about it when we wrote it, but it ended up being that way. So I I'm mean, glad you brought that yeah. up. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, how many co- yeah. Uh, yeah. now are you doing costume changes? Just two. Um, yeah, they're wearing not, the same, the same okay. outfit the whole time. Yeah. I mean, we just have to change back into that outfit because it, oh, it all takes place. It's, it's almost in real time, I guess. The play is short, but it makes it seem like it's all in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not three hours like a Super Bowl would be. <laughs> it's only like a little bit over an hour, but it does feel like it's in real time. So yeah, they they're all wearing the same. And, and you don't uh, and you don't clothes. have commercials, so. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, yeah. No we commercials. No commercials. commercials. We do have a, we do have a halftime show, but no commercials. Oh, okay. A halftime <laughs> show, no commercials. But now, where yeah. now where can you guys are too much fun? Not no one should have this much fun on a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thinking the same thing. Um, so now, where can everybody? Where and when can they see over time? It is. Uh, we open this week, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this week, and also next week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And actually, we wanted to invite you for a soft opening if you wanted to come, Debbie. That's in, on Wednesday. If you wanted to come check it out. Well, let um, me check my award screening calendar when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Kim, Kim yeah, can tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Kim can tell you. I've been, I've been going bonkers with uh, award screenings, voting, oh, yeah. awards interviews. It's wonderful time of the year. Pl- and I love it. Alex, you know I love it. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of movies last time. I'll tell you. Well, I'm... I'm Winding up this year, probably with 1,254 feature films that I've seen this year. Wow. (laughs) Oh, that is a dream job. It's, (laughs) no, it's, it's, it's a dream job to get to watch it and see all the talent that's up and coming, to see the talent that's Mm -hmm. that's there, to see the talent that's not there. Um, (laughs) But, you know, then when, when people are like, well, I really want to review. No, you really don't. Um, oh, that's your review right there. No, you don't. It's like no, no, no. You know, well, no. We want a review on Rotten Tomatoes because I'm Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> approved crit. I'm a to- yeah, tomato meter yeah. approved. Um, it's like no. Trust me, you really don't. Um, <laughs> Maybe we don't want you to come. No. Well, will you stop? I've already <laughs> seen your work before, so you know. Um, but but the Thanks. play. So I'll have to check. I will check my calendar when I get home because I don't have it with me here okay. in the studio. But, but yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. It's a weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the next weekend at eight o'clock every all six days. And how o'clock. about the theater that it's at, guys? I know where it is. Fury Theater. Stephanie Fury's Theater on Mel- on the corner of Melrose and Larchmont in Hollywood. Uh, it's a nice, a beautiful theater, and it, it had what we needed. Is like, uh, it, it's almost like 
tunnels in the back so we can change and move and come out from different doorways. Oh, nice. And everything. It's just a perfect theater. And Stephanie has been so sweet with us. Very accommodating. Very nice. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful theater. It's just one theater in there. And it's really, really beautiful. Um, so, yeah. And then you can get the tickets at uh, Goldstar. Dot com just look for overtime and it's twenty dollars um, on, on gold star and then twenty five at the door so that's, online works better that's a bargain oh yeah, yeah either one is a bargain because so. you spend more yeah, than yeah, that yeah. if you go to the arc light for a movie it's sixteen seventy five plus if you get popcorn and soda you're at thirty bucks oh so yeah, exactly yeah yeah. And we're giving away free concessions, so there you go. Okay, well, I, I that's the, free. That is the <laughs> operative word, gentlemen. Free. Yes. Yeah. Free concessions. Yeah. People like free. Concessions free. at halftime. There you go. You know, as L. Woods solidified for all of us in Legally Blonde 2, America, <laughs> the land of free gift with purchase. You know, free concessions. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's yeah. it. So, unfortunately, boys, we are all out of time for the show. Uh, Debbie, thank you for having us. This is terrible. This is terrible to be out of time. You guys are fabulous. Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. It's always a, a pleasure, always, Alex, having you. And it's a joy having you now, Vince. And seriously, oh, thank you. I hope to meet you someday. That, you, that'd be great. You both really have you both have to come we, we back on the Eagles, show. We can talk Eagles Jets football. That'll be something. Yeah, the way they're both playing this year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, after yesterday's Eagles game, uh, I'm. Just, it's uh, like, yeah. where is Nick Foles? You know <laughs> we we lost to the 0 and 11 Cincinnati Bengals yesterday. <laughs> Only the Jets can do that. I'm going to leave it at that. Well, the way the Eagles are playing right now. I think they could have done it too, but guys, yeah, I know. guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have to come back on thank the show you. again, and we will definitely. I know you will, and I <laughs> thank you guys, and I will let you know thank about you. if I can make the soft open. Excellent, awesome, thank you, Debbie. Thanks, guys. Again, thank you so much, Debbie. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Have a good week. You too. Bye. bye. And that was Alex Ruiz and Vincent Giovanni talking about their new play, Comedy, Overtime. It is at the Stephanie Fury uh, Theater at 5636 Melrose. It opens this Thursday night, December 5th, 8 p.m., 5th, 6th, and 7th. And then next week on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the 12th, 13th, and 14th again. Um, They're fabulous guys. Alex, I adore uh, and I'm so thrilled that he had another big project to come back on the show and talk about. That is all the time we have today. Um, next week, yes, next week we're going to talk with the director of The Mandela Effect. Uh, really good film. Kind of scary. Um, but the whole Mandela Effect is a very real thing in the world. And I can't wait to talk to the director uh, of that film next week. But until then, if you want to see, read reviews, interviews, hear interviews, um, we've got some new videos even uh, from Spirit Awards Red Carpet, uh, Spirit Award nominations Red Carpet. Go to BehindTheLensOnline.net or my reviews and interviews are in various print and online outlets around the world 24-7. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Thank <laughs> you.